Hello and welcome to the fifth and latest installment of Connected Investor, the podcast from the Brunner Investment Trust. I'm Joe Lynham, the BBC presenter and former business correspondent. And in this podcast, we're going to tackle a myriad of issues which may affect the Brunner Fund. We're going to talk about the recent comments about US interest rates, which have shaken the bond and equity markets. And we'll also look at the impact of the rollout of vaccines in many developed markets, especially here in the UK, as well as in the US. And we'll look at how the vaccination program is turning many investors away from growth stocks to look at other types of investments. As ever, I'm joined by Matthew Tillett, the lead portfolio manager of the Brunner Investment Trust. Uh, hello, Matthew. Have you had your vaccination? I'm presuming because you're in your mid twenties, you haven't had not, it yet. Not, not quite that young, Joe. No, but I, I am. I am still some way away. I think from from getting getting the vaccine. Um, and I think fund managers are certainly not uh, uh, certainly not a critical. Uh, are you telling me fund managers no, aren't a priority so, no. group? I don't, I don't think we should be either. Gosh, <laughs> I think I thought you guys were front line. <laughs> in that. Anyway, tell us about how the markets have been uh, over uh, the last couple of months. We last did this uh, in, in mid-November, uh, so a fair bit has happened. Yeah, definitely, since then. Um, quite quite a lot of change, Joe. Um, I think when we last talked uh, back in, I think it was November. Uh, market still still very much back then being driven by uh, some of the, the the winners from from earlier in the year. You know, the technology companies in particular, the companies that were benefiting from uh, from from the lockdowns. Uh, and we've seen a real shift since then, um, driven kind of in the main by the vaccine. Uh, the, the, initially, the results that were very positive um, from the from the, the, the vaccine trials, and then more recently, the, the rollouts, which, although they started a bit, um, yeah, a bit, bit, bit slowly, uh, they've now really gathered pace and, and we're seeing good results coming back from from you know, places like Israel and more recently here in the UK. Uh, and then in addition to that, you've still got a very supportive um, policy environment. Uh, monetary policy remains very supportive uh, and fiscal policy now as well. I'm sure we'll come on to talk about talk about that later. Uh, and then the third point is is around uh, what may happen once economies open up. I think people are looking at uh, the potential for pent up demand. Um, they're looking at the uh, excess saving that has happened over the last uh, year, year and a half, um, particularly amongst uh, kind of the, 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 those segments of the population that have been that have kept their jobs um, and have been you know less impacted by COVID, uh, many of whom actually have more money in their pocket than they had a year ago. Uh, so that has the potential to to unleash a lot a lot of demand, uh, and that's and you've seen that in the markets with. Uh, you know, commodity prices uh, rallying hard, uh, inflation expectations uh, going back up, bond yields recovering, uh, and value outperforming growth. Now, bonds, US government bonds, 10 year bonds, they were at 0.8% in November, and now they're at 1.6%. That is a doubling. What is going on? Because that is a substantial change in expectations, wouldn't you say? It, it is, yeah, but but then we have to obviously keep it in keep in mind the fact that uh, you know they obviously were very very low before, uh, and it and it really reflects you know kind of much of what what I've just said really it's it's the 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 expectation about you know what is to come, um, and that we're you know we're, we're likely to see or the market is expecting to see a a, a much stronger economy uh, and and potentially higher inflation as well. 
uh, and bond yields, um, you know, they, that's how they, you know, that, that's how they react to, um, to, to that sort of environment because bond yields are, a, you know, they're, they're fixed coupon uh, coupon investments. Um, and so the market's demanding higher yields. Uh, and there's an expectation as well that, that the, the monetary authorities will have to taper uh, some of the, the support that they put in place um, you know, stop asset purchases and potentially even raise interest rates um, uh, further down the line. Uh, so the markets are very much looking forward, uh, as they always do. It's interesting because uh, a few months ago, Matthew, everyone was assuming that interest rates were going nowhere anytime soon. There seems to have been a bit of a rotation in the last three months in what people have invested. In. What are they? What are they getting out of, and what are they getting into? Would you say? Well, I mean, I I think. Uh, to put it very simply, it's 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 really a reverse of of what we saw uh, in the first uh, well the first sort of four or five months of the pandemic, um, which we have to remember was very extreme in the other direction. Um, what we saw during during the pandemic was that initially everything fell, you know, in March and April of 2020. Uh, but then what happened was we saw a really really strong rebound amongst the these companies sectors uh, like technology uh, that were actually you know, not, not only um, not impacted, but in some cases actually benefiting from the pandemic. And that drove the markets higher. Uh, but you didn't see the recovery in some of the more cyclical uh, sectors, you know, sectors like you know, commodities, oil and gas, travel, leisure, um, uh, some of the consumer, sort of outdoor consumer uh, uh, industries that they were all very depressed, um, and they're the they're the areas that have been recovering now, um, as uh, investors start to ex- anticipate a recovery uh, in those industries, uh, and and therefore see a see a recovery recovery in profits. And so we've really just seen a seen a a, a bit of a, a bit of a reversal of, of of what happened last year. Have you warned all your Brunner investors that you're going to put the entire fund into Bitcoin? Have you warned them, uh, Matthew? <laughs> the the Brunner investors can rest assured that uh, even if I wanted to do that, uh, I, which I don't, um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be allowed to because that's not not what the uh, Brunner Brunner investment philosophy is about. Um, but it has it, been phenomenal, though. Yeah. What's happened this year with with people piling money into yeah. Bitcoin, into Tesla, into yeah. GameStop. I mean, wow, that's just been the behavior of some investors has been illogical, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, this this gets into another question that's being raised a lot, uh, you know, question of, you know, are we in a stock market bubble? Um, there's lots of people have opined on on this question. And I think it it, it depends a bit on how you how you define a bubble and, and what you look for. So you can there are really sort of two ways you can look at it. You know, one way is to look at valuation. Uh, and say that you know when valuations are uh, you know, extremely um, elevated, you know that's a sign of a bubble um, because it means people are buying buying uh, securities not on the basis of any kind of fundamental assessment, but just because other people are buying them. Uh, the other way you can look at it is on a beh- more of a behavioural um, approach, which is to try to as, as you. Sort of alluded to in your comments, sort of try to assess sort of how are people behaving. Are they are they just doing crazy speculative things with, you know, that, that don't don't make any sense? Um, I think I think on if we look at the behavioural side, that there are some worrying signs. Um, certainly, um, if you look at the, the kind of the GameStops, the Bitcoins, the Teslas, you know, that does 
you know that, that does have echoes of of what we've seen in uh in, in past stock market bubbles but what i would say is that it's at this stage anyway it's quite isolated to to a, a, a number of um you know reddit specific, fans yeah yes yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly it's what is what you know things that come up on the you know on, on the reddit it's a few stocks that, are, that have particular cult followings. Obviously, Tesla is the is you know the, the big one, but there, there are some others as well. You know, we don't really see it more broadly. If you you know, if you look particularly outside the US, you know, there, there's not really much evidence of of of, a, of kind of you know what I would think of as a as a bubble. And especially if you look at it through the other lens, which is to look at the valuation. Um, you know, markets outside the US are, are, are not really in bubble territory on, on any kind of valuation measure. Uh, in the US, you know, it does look elevated. Um, but again, it's once you dig below the surface and kind of look, you know, the US has a lot of has a lot of technology stocks, which, you know, are, are generally more highly valued. Uh, uh, and so to some extent, that explains it. Um, I mean, the market overall in the US is more highly valued than elsewhere, but it doesn't l- look to be um, like a bubble to me at this stage. Stay with us, Matthew. We're going to be talking about giant stimulus measures, uh, but for now, we'll just take a quick pause. Matthew, when we spoke to you a couple of months back uh, for the last podcast, um, Joe Biden had secured his 270 electoral college votes. He hadn't yet been certified, a a process which turned out to be quite fraught on the day, Um, nor had he secured uh, control of the Senate, which is quite significant. Now that he has a wafer-thin command of the Senate, the House and the Oval Office, I just wonder whether his $1.9 trillion stimulus package is going to have a major impact on the um, the global economy, not just the U.S. economy. And there's also downsides to that about whether that will be a lot of money chasing limited resources and, you know, inflation on, on that. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it definitely is a is a material uh, change uh, from certainly, you know, where what we were looking at uh, two to three months ago. I mean, it's clearly a huge um, amount of money uh, in, in you know, however you measure it. Uh, I, I mean, one, one obvious comparison would be to look at you know what it represents compared to what what happened after the financial crisis which arguably was a much a much kind of deeper uh and more long-lasting downturn because it you know impacted the you know the financial industry and you know there always, always takes longer to recover from those kind of downturns and here we've got a much bigger stimulus against a backdrop where as we discussed earlier you know it, it kind of looks like we may we, you know, we may be coming out quite quickly from this. Um, so I do think in the short term, it has the potential to, you know, to, to stimulate quite, you know, really quite significant, um, you know, uh, GDP growth, uh, quite a rapid recovery. Uh, but I think we've got to be careful we don't get too carried away with it because, you know, there are still, um, there, there are still longer term structural um, issues that the Western economies face, um, over indebtedness, uh, which existed before COVID and has, and has only got worse. Um, that tends to be you know, put down with pressure uh, on, uh, on on economic growth. The demographics uh, in, in in general are not particularly favourable either. Uh, Certainly at, in in, in bits, of, bits of Europe and in Japan. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. The US is the US. To be fair, is is, is actually um, you know, relatively better in on, in 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 that regard. Um, so I, I, at this stage, I, I I'm I'm seeing it as as more of a shorter term impact um, that certainly will will probably benefit the more 
cyclical areas of the economy and the financial market. But I think we have to be a bit careful about kind of extrapolating it um, too far into the future. Now, it, it's it's not just the US. I mean, the US is looking at potentially a budget deficit of in the mid-teens. It's, un, it's unfathomable, hardly. Um, but it, there's going to be a massive stimulus in the European Union as well, um, also funded by debt in some short, uh, some way, and uh, Japan and other major economies as well. China is probably the only place that doesn't necessarily need a stimulus. It's, it's aiming to, to grow by 7% this year after what happened last year. Yeah, it's 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 uh, yeah. As I said, it's ex- extraordinary, um, ex- extraordinary amounts of money. And of course, Ch- China did have a stimulus last year as well, w- uh, which helped it to recover uh, quickly from the pandemic. Look, I, look, I think policymakers around the world have, uh, you know, they're just they're taking a different approach uh, this time around. They they you know, it, after the financial crisis, there was a big fear uh, amongst policymakers and indeed um, from the academic community as well that you couldn't really do this sort of thing it just it, it you know it, it just the, the bond markets wouldn't accept it um you know you, inflation would come through very quickly uh and it would just lead to you know a, 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 just sort of financial chaos uh the like in the last 10 years has has largely or, or at least it's provided some evidence to suggest that that's not the case and certainly the academic community is is you know much less uh you know it, it, the, the idea of kind of austerity is not you know you, you don't really see that um in the way that we, we did 10 years ago there isn't the support for it either politically or or indeed um you know within the academic communities so I, I think the policy makers uh feel that they can do this this time and and the, and, the, and as long as the bond markets remain supportive uh they will they will continue to go down this route Austerity, as you say, was imposed uh, to deal with debt run up by the financial crisis. The debts are going to be far more substantial this time. Why has the bond market been so accommodative? Why has it not said, whoa, whoa, we're not going to continue to lend money? Because there is going to be a wall of cash thrown out there. And the question is, will that money ever be repaid or will it be just QE and just invented money that will never necessarily need to be repaid? Or is it something that's just going to be passed on to future generations? Because I just don't understand how, ever, how debt, which was a problem a decade ago, suddenly is not an issue. Yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good question, and I think a lot I think a lot of people um, have been surprised by it. And I I've been surprised by it as well. I mean, if you if you told me ten years ago what was going to happen and that we would be in this position in ten years' time, you know, taking it to even further extremes, I I, I would have said I, I didn't believe you and I, I didn't think that that would happen. Um, but you know, predicting the way markets behave, um, particularly bond markets, is is you know, something that, you know, many people have got it wrong over the years. People have, people have consistently, you know, called the turn and, um, and, and, and been wrong. Um, so, I mean, if you want my view on what changes it, you know, I, I do think ultimately it's inflation. Um, I think inflation is what, uh, you know, which kind of paradoxically is what, you know, a lot of people seem to want at the moment, but we should remember that actually, if we do get sustained high inflation, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, because that's when bonds, you know, really, really do lose their appeal. Uh, and it could then become much harder for the central bankers um, to control 
uh, the environment. Um, because if you do have high rates of inflation coming through, you know, it's going to you be- You can't cut interest rates in that case, can you? If, it, it just, if, if inflation stays high and, and interest rates are already, you know, almost zero. Yeah, and it's the real interest rate that, you know, you, you're going to have very, you know, if, if, you, if you have high rates of inflation and you keep interest rates low, then you're, the, the real interest rates are so low that pe- people are just not going to want to hold, um, you know, government bonds anymore. Uh, so you're, you're either going to have to let them go up or you're going to have to introduce even more severe financial repression um uh you know and you know who knows what kind of policies that those would be uh so you know i think i think when i says when people talk about inflation as a good thing people should you know just remember that <laughs> just be careful what you wish for it's not necessarily a it's not necessarily a positive but ultimately to be thinking about how we're going to how we're going to delever from where we are you know that's it's quite difficult to see any other way of doing it uh and if you look at past p- episodes of economic history that you know particularly the period after the second world war that's what happened. You know, we we had very high debt levels, and we had a very long period where um, interest rates were kept well below the rate of inflation, uh, and bonds performed terribly. But we got the debt down. Uh, do you think there's? Uh, it's exaggerated to say that we could have a repeat of the Roaring Twenties, i.e., after a uh, after the last major global pandemic, the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919. Uh, there was a huge explosion of investment and growth in the 1920s. And I just wonder whether the 2020s, because people are talking about the roaring 20s and the 2020s, because of this stimulus that you're talking about, and because of the fact that people have sat on their hands for a year, and there's a lot of pent-up savings out there, pent-up demand up there that could just explode into the market, and everyone's going to want to travel the world again and you know spend like crazy. I, I think from a cyclical perspective, I, I think there definitely is the potential for that uh, because of the the the, the 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 huge fiscal stimulus that's coming and also the, the um, huge amounts of pent up demand that exist within the consumer sector. Uh, the question I have is is just how sustained that would be. Uh, you know, does it last a year or two, or, or is it does it last longer than that? At this stage, I'm seeing it more as a more as a as a cyclical. Uh, phenomenon rather than a structural phenomenon, um, but I, I, you know, we'll keep, keep we'll keep an open mind on that. I'm going to stray slightly into medical subject. I'm sure that's not something that either of us want to stray too long about. But the vaccine has made a difference to financial markets. Uh, the last time a vaccine was developed for a, a, a an epidemic rather than a pandemic, it took three years to develop. This time it was done in something like eight months. It is a scientific success story, and it has played a huge role in how the markets have behaved and how economies are now going to behave as they emerge from the cocoon. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We have to remember that uh, you know when we were talking about the pandemic, if you say back, I don't know, July, August last year, you know, it was still pretty uncertain about you know how we were going to get out of it. You know, people were wondering: is it does it have to be herd immunity? Can we wait for the vaccine? The vaccine might take you know a year, two years, three years, etc. And and then we got those results at the end of the year, and they they were a real you know a a, a real positive surprise. You know, even the, the the healthcare experts, most of them were surprised, particularly by the efficacy, um, uh, the efficacy results. And then since since we've started actually rolling them out across the population certainly my reading anyway is that the results uh, so far have have generally been better than expected as well when you look at things like 
um, the, ex the extent to which they're reducing hospitalization rates amongst the elderly, uh, and even the, the, the extent to which they uh, appear to reduce transmission as well, um, which was a, a bit of a, a, an uncertainty at the time. Um, so I think it's a great triumph for the, for the healthcare industry, actually, and the, and the, the medical, medical science and medical research. It shows what, what can be done um, you know, when, you know, you know, when, when, when people's minds are put to something. Um, uh, before we take a quick break, um, I got my jab and I'm feeling pretty good about the whole thing. Uh, I'm just wondering whether healthcare stocks and well, healthcare bonds are something that are going to continue to be in favor or whether that's now priced in and people have taken their profits and they don't plan on having any further big investments in healthcare. No, really, really interesting question. It's a sector that we we like a lot um, in in the trust, one of our biggest sectors, um, and we, we we like it. Not not really, but, but I mean, there's there's a COVID specific point, but yeah, if we put COVID to one side, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a great sector for finding uh, good quality companies because it's a lot of it's quite regulated. Um, you, you need uh, typically you need quite high levels of R and D uh, expenditure in order to compete. Uh, that generally favours the incumbent businesses that already have the the technology mm -hmm. and 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 the research base, uh, and so it's a it's a sector that we're able to find some quite high quality businesses, uh, and it's also got got long term structural growth drivers, um, aging populations, um, you know, increases in in uh, in wealth around the world. Uh, so um, so yeah, so we we do have a lot of holdings, and they they were good for us um, in the first part of last year because they. Uh, generally held up much better than, than most other uh, parts of the, the economy ju during the pandemic. I have to say, actually, though, more recently, uh, sectors are kind of sort of been the wrong side, really, of, of the rotation because it's it's quite a defensive industry. Um, you know, it's not you know that doesn't really benefit from really from reopening or, or cyclical recovery. And so we've seen some of the valuations uh, come back uh, quite a bit. Um, uh, which we, we think actually presents, for instance, an opportunity for long-term investors, because, because you know, as, as, as I say, I mean, the industry has really shown how important it is uh, during this period, and I, I do think that there will be more uh, spending on healthcare um, structurally uh, as a result of COVID. Um, if you look at places like the UK and the US, for example, which have where are the infrastructure failings of you know one of the reasons why we have not done as well as other places um at least pre the vaccine rollouts is just you know we don't have enough equipment we don't have enough beds we don't the testing diagnostic equipment's not not good enough you know that's gonna that will be rectified i think and that that's it's that sort of thing that will lead to more uh more spending and more opportunities for for some of the businesses that we're invested in Stay with us, uh, Matthew, uh, Lead Portfolio Manager with uh, Brunner Investment Trust. Uh, we'll be speaking about how you are a hero. Now, Matthew, how often have you been referred to as a hero? Well, that's what the AIC, the Association of Investment Companies, described a Brunner Investment Trust they, as a dividend hero. In your annual report, you posted pretty decent dividends. Tell us how you got on. Yeah, so we we released our results uh, recently. We had, our year end is uh, end of November, um, so we had a, a good year. Um, portfolio outperformed the benchmark, um, as did the the net asset value. Um, and as you say, we also uh, increased the, the dividend as well for the uh, 49th year in a row. 
uh, that's that's uh, why why we are the trust is called a hero. Um, uh, it, what does that that mean? Um, it basically is a label that's given to uh, any investment trusts within the AIC sector that have increased their dividends for more than twenty years uh, in a row. Uh, now, it's important to understand one of the great advantages of investment trusts uh, is because uh, they're structured as companies, uh, unlike open-ended funds, uh, they, uh, they're able to, uh, in, in good years, um, put some of the profits uh, aside, uh, put them into reserves uh, in the same way that, that you know, normal companies do, uh, build up the reserves uh, during the good years. And then when there's, when, when there's a, uh, a, a rainy day recession or, or, or a pandemic, uh, <laughs> you know, which, which impacts the businesses that the company's invested in and, 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 and the dividend payments that the company receives, it's able to call on those reserves uh, in order to, um, you know, to continue p- paying a rising dividend. Uh, and if you look at that, Brian O'Brien has done this several times uh, over, over that 49 year period period um where you know during you know global financial crisis previous previous recessions um you know where it's drawn on reserves and kept that kept that dividend growth going and we did it again last year uh and um but the but the the encouraging thing is that when we look forward uh we're seeing what we're seeing is is the dividend payments are coming back uh, amongst uh, across the market and most importantly in the companies that we're invested in um you know we we do have as you know, we run a balanced portfolio, so we, we do have some some cyclical businesses in the portfolio as well that, that were impacted last year. But what we're seeing is that um, almost all of those are now starting to uh, reinstate dividends as they see their trading um, their trading and their prospects recover. Did you guys uh, attract any investors when those dividend payments were paused or stopped or slashed um, uh, when the first lockdown happened? Did you guys kind of get a, a trickle up of investors um, sniffing around, Brunner? I, quite quite possibly um yeah i i don't i yeah you'd have, you'd have to ask those you'd have to ask those investors uh, we just do what we do um yeah. and you know i think i think i think a lot of people that have owned Brunner for a long time you know understand that and you know they you know they they know what to expect um and i hope that you know our performance over the last year has shown that you know we are continuing to continuing to do what we say on the tin and Matthew, I guess a, a public service announcement, it is fairly straightforward to get into uh, Brunner if you want to. There are a whole myriad of ways you can do it. Uh, and uh, it's it's as simple as buying a share. And Matthew, you're trading at something of a discount. Yeah, that's that's right, Joe. Uh, it's, it's one of the unusual features uh, of investment trusts uh, is that uh, because they're closed end funds, um, when you invest in them, uh, you buy the shares and the share price uh, doesn't necessarily have to be the same as the net asset value. Uh, it can be more than the net asset value. It can be less than the net asset value. Uh, and right now, uh, Brano is is actually trading at, at quite a wide discount, over ten percent discount um, to to the net asset value, which means that you can you're effectively buying the investments that the trust has at ten uh, percent less than than their market value. Thank you very much, Matthew Tillett, the lead portfolio manager for Brunner Investment Trust. That's all uh, the time we have for this episode of Connected Investor. And thank you for joining me, Matthew, and all of you out there. Make sure you're subscribed to Connected Investor wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't have to go hunting for it the next time. Smash that subscribe button, as they say on uh, YouTube, certainly by 
seven-year-old son says that. And thank you all for listening. We value your views and we're keen to know what you think. So do get in touch. You can get in touch via the website, which is www.brunner.co.uk. From me, Joe Lynham. Ta-ta for now.